Be fearless. That's what I would say to people. Let go of the fear that it may or may not work and just do it for the simple joy of doing it. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Sandra, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Good. I'm good. How about yourself? Great. Thank you. <laughs> Great to have you on. And my podcast is about helping people overcome uh, common challenges, whatever they may be, whether it's a uh, personal career or business. I bring experts like yourself to provide guidance on how you've overcome your own personal challenges to get to where you are today. Uh, so to start off with, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and so my audience can learn more about you. Hi, I'm, my name is Sandra Harper. And I have recently uh, written a book called The Four Attitudes, The Alchemy of an Open Heart and a Calm Mind. And that book is all about um, how I use the four noble yogic attitudes, which are compassion, friendliness, non-judgment, and joy, to overcome many challenges in my life, one of which was having cancer and sometimes anxieties and how these um, beautiful attitudes help me in my daily life. So that's who I am. Let's take a step back in terms of like your upbringing and like how you face those challenges to find those four attitudes that you mentioned. So I grew up in rural Idaho uh, in a small family on a farm. And <laughs> I had just one sibling. And I write about this a little bit in the book, how the first kind of friend that I had that was a really great friend was actually nature and connecting with nature uh, to just having nature be there for me. And then um, later in my life, I you know, married, I had children, I have a family and I was, I've always been a spiritual seeker. And so I basically sought yoga as a pathway for personal freedom. And that's where I started to learn about the attitudes. Got it. Okay. And why don't you uh, dive deeper into those four attitudes that you already mentioned? So you said like friendliness, compassion, and non-judgment, right? And joy. And joy. Okay. Yeah, so let, yeah. Let, let's go through four of them in a bit of depth for my audience here. Sure. So friendliness, let's talk about that. Everybody knows what a friend is, right? And everybody's heard the word friendliness. But this is really about that attitude is about how to actually befriend your own mind, how to befriend yourself from the inside, right? How to make friends with your mind, how to make friends with who you are. And friendliness is actually one of the harder ones to practice because it requires a lot of diligence and a lot of gentle kindness with yourself, but also looking really at who you are and who you want to be in the world. So friendliness. Um, sometimes we seek friendliness and have friendliness in the outer world. I'm sure you have friends, Max. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> and community is a beautiful way to connect and get a deeper sense of friendship. But the, the attitude of friendliness, which is called Mayatri, uh, Mayatri is about inner friendliness and learning how to befriend your mind. So that's one of the first ones. And in my book, I go a little bit more into detail about how to do that and how to contemplate it, what breathing practices to use to guide yourself and why it's so important right now to actually be friends with yourself. You know, too often we, our own harsh critics or... <laughs> We can be sometimes, you know, 
to lackadaisical and how we treat ourselves. So there's friendliness for you, just kind of in a nutshell. Yeah, I think one of the common things, a lot of people are not friends with themselves. Like they're always criticizing themselves. They're, they're not really, again, like a lot of people have a lot to offer, but they always focus on the negatives of themselves and they focus on trying to improve the negative, but they don't take a step back and focus on the good qualities that they already have. Yep, exactly. And, you know, the Yoga Sutra, which is where these beautiful attitudes come from, says that we are all innately light. It's that it becomes covered by... Um, sometimes unhelpful tendencies, and one of which can be that harsh voice that we use with ourselves, or that perfectionistic sense of way we get with ourselves, or you know maybe we just don't care, you know, or we take that attitude on. That's where these stem from. Got it. Okay, like compassion. That's the next attitude, right? Yep. So compassion, which is karuna. So wow, that is. I just want you right now to think, feel compassion. Like when was a time in your life, Max, that you actually felt? a sense of compassion for another person, or maybe it was an animal, maybe it was a loved one, maybe it was maybe it was in a relationship. So compassion is an innate trait in all humans. And the practice of compassion is really more about seeing that all humans, all of us, regardless of where we are, struggle with some things. And having a sense of connection to that we're all humans doing our best, most of us, <laughs> can give us a sense of compassion. And compassion can be taught. Like for me, that I learned compassion, um, self-compassion through breast cancer. That was one of the ways in which I learned how to be compassionate with myself and other people. Because for a long time, I kind of thought I was a little bit, what's that word, like invincible. <laughs> but I'm human and going through that just gave me so much A, compassion for other people that go through it and B, myself, like as I went through it, just how painful it was and how much I had to overcome and teach myself compassion. So why don't we dive deeper into that? Like, How did you figure out that you were diagnosed with cancer or had signs of cancer? I didn't have any signs. So um, at that time, I was pretty, like I was just turned 41 and I hadn't really had any signs. No one in my family had ever had it. Like my mom, my grandmother, my sister, none of them had had it. I just went in for a routine mammogram and they just called me and said, this is under suspicion. We need to look at this. And so I panicked, <laughs> which is very natural. I panicked and I was really sad and scared. And then I went went back in, they did some biopsy and they said, oh, it's stage zero, which was a positive sign. But they said, until we do the surgery, we won't fully know if it had advanced in any form. So as you can imagine, that was a devastating thing for myself at the time because I was, you know, practicing a really sophic or like very clean diet, practicing meditation and yoga, exercising, raising my family. So to have that kind of a slap in a way was a huge thing to go through. And, you know, the way that compassion came is, it was like, I don't know how other people feel about cancer, but the ones that I've talked to, it can be a great teacher, or it can be something that just continues to scare you. And for me, it became a teacher, it became something that I just had to slowly pay attention to my body and my breathing and my mind, what it was saying to me. Like it had a lot of story going on about what if you die? What if you leave your family behind? 
I wasn't as scared to pass Max, but I had two small children and I was, I didn't want to leave them. You know, I want, I wanted to make sure that they had a mom to grow up with. For example, like, like a greater purpose that's beyond you, right? Yes. Yeah. I had a grand purpose that was beyond me. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that you touched upon was that like you were you were exercising, you were eating healthy, that you're doing everything by the book. You still were diagnosed with cancer, right? Now they said like they caught on the early stages, so it wasn't as severe. So, but they still had to do surgery to see like how bad it was. So, as you already said, it was a slap in the face because like you did all the things properly and you still got cancer. So, what was your like thought process at that point? Did it feel like you spent all these years following the right mindset, the right dieting, and then you still get hit with this uh, diagnosis. Yeah, you know, it brought me to my knees in a way that nothing else ever has. And that means for me, like, I really learned the power of trustful surrender to something larger. And that I also learned that I don't necessarily know everything about my, you know, how my life is going to unfold. So it just helped me with the power of um, surrender and release and allowing something greater to come forward because I may not have been at risk for death, but at the time, and who knows, you know, surgeries can go, we don't know. I had a very invasive surgery. You could die under the knife. (laughs) And so I had to, I had to really grapple with that idea that I could die. That was a really, like a real thing. And that just helped me realize how precious and sacred my life is and what a gift it is. What a gift it is to be a mother and a friend to others, a wife, a friend to myself. And what a precious gift it is to actually be born as a human. And even if I only had a little bit of time left, I wanted that time to be something in which I really loved the gift that I was given, regardless of whatever it was going through. How did your life change after your diagnosis and the surgery? Because uh, a lot of people, they, they push things off. Oh, it can be always tomorrow or tomorrow. But you had a big scare that, as you said, that like you might die like, under the knife. And did you have a lot of thoughts, say, oh, I wish I did this, wish I did that. And then when you realized that you were going to live and recover, did you start changing uh, how you approach life? I got a lot softer. <laughs> so what that means is, you know, for a decade, I worked decade I worked in corporate America and I was a portfolio manager and had to kind of be hard and had to get things done and had sharp edges. And after going through that, what I realized was, and keep, I keep realizing it, like softness and allowing is such a more pleasant way to live your life <laughs> than push and get it done. And so, you know, it really led us here. It is a dream come true that I finished a book, that I finished the book that is the work in the world that I'm here to do. I'm also just finished some oracle cards on the four attitudes with artwork. And that took me a long time to finish them. But I really take to heart, like, I'm here to do this and give this. And so, yeah. Can you walk us through more about what made you decide to write a book and the process, the creative process in writing it? I know a lot of people uh, want to write a book, but they don't understand the logistics behind it. Like how many like iterations you have to make, uh, when is it good to publish? So could you walk us through that process from like end to end and what were some of the challenges that you had along the way? Yeah. So first of all, I want to address the issue of imposter syndrome because people go through that a lot. Like, who am I to write this? I might not be good enough. Maybe my writing isn't good enough. Maybe my message isn't. Or even if it's a, a fictional novel, maybe blah, 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 all that story in the mind. 
I just kind of put it aside. And honestly, it was my husband who really empowered me to do it. He really said, and he broke the process down for me, which made it easy. It didn't make it overwhelming. So I highly recommend that you seek somebody who can help you break down the process of how to write a book. Because it's a small, you know, you you can write small amounts every single day. You can write 10 questions and then answer those 10 questions. The way I began it actually, Max, is I recorded myself speaking about what I wanted to teach. That was the first iteration. And then I printed all of those. Then I started writing more and more about it. And then I sought the help of a really fantastic creative editor who does um, self-help books. And she did such a good job pulling the story out and helping me with clarity. And and she did a great job editing it. But I'm here to tell you, it took me a long time. I've been trying to write a book for like 20 years and I finally finished it. And I had to overcome a lot of that self-talk that says, maybe this isn't good enough. And how I finally overcame that was I just went, I'm just going to do this thing. I'm going to have fun doing it. I'm going to put it out there and whatever happens, happens. I'm going to do my very, very best. I'm going to give it my all with passion and compassion and we'll see where we go. (laughs) So yeah, and that's a great way to put it, right? Uh, A lot of people want to do something for external result. I'm going to do this so I can get this, right? I'm going to go from I want to do A to get B, but you had the mindset of, I'm just going to do it, enjoy doing it, enjoy the process and whatever happens, happens. So you found the doing it more rewarding than what you would expect with the result. And that's not to say that you don't want the result. It's just that you were into the process and you enjoyed it. While a lot of people tend to want to do something for the sake of the result. Yeah. And the result is beautiful, right? Like it just depends on your intent behind why you would write a book, you know, um, I wrote a book because I believe I know that the four attitudes are really powerful and they're powerful. They can alchemize so much pain in the world and they can protect us from pain. And I know that from personal experience and teaching and guiding others with these attitudes, like these work. (laughs) So that was my intention. And the result, I just feel like is not really my business. (laughs) And the other thing you mentioned was that you did get help, right? To like edit and like pull stories because you said you work with someone that was in the self-help space, correct? So one of the things that fascinates me is that a lot of people don't want to ask for help. They want to just do it on their own. And they think like asking for help is a sign of weakness. So what's your thoughts on that? And how did you realize that, okay, I do need some extra help to help me polish this book and create a book in a way that gives value to the world? Yeah. Well, I love what you just said, which was, you know, people don't like to ask for help. Well, here's the thing. we. Not one of us here on this planet live without help from other people, period. (laughs) Let me just break that down for you. Like you don't grow every ounce of food you have. I want to presence this because it's really important to understand that we are all being served by others as we are serving others, right? So that right there, just consider that you are always getting help, whether you're calling it help or not right? Somebody is always helping you. The food that you eat and the way that you're able to digest it, your stomach helps you with that, right? Or your, you know, your friend comes, brings you beautiful food, or you just help is always coming to you and you may not recognize it. So the word ask for help was, I guess I just, I got to the point where it was like, it's good to ask because you can't receive something sometimes without actually acknowledging that you need to ask for it. And so I did, I went out and I just kind of, I put it out there like, I need a creative editor. I would prefer to work with a woman. And I had, I had an intention behind it. 
And then the craziest thing happened. <laughs> I was at the gym. I met this woman and that is what she does for a living. I mean, so that's the power of asking. If you want to do it by yourself, good luck. You know what they say. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, right? Know that we are all doing things in service of each other and we are being served by others. So why not have it as a sense of like, it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. And the other thing you mentioned was like, you met this person like at the gym, right? Uh, a lot of people are trying to build businesses just by staying at home and working on the computer. But yes, you, you could like reach out like on the internet, like DMs or email, but it's not the same as like networking in person. And you don't have to like go into to, like networking conferences. Just again, um, build a lifestyle you want. And then people who are also doing the same type of lifestyle, you're, you're attract those same people. And then that's how you start building the tribe that works for you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, like I didn't know I would be sitting here with you today and I'm so happy to be doing that. And like, I just put myself out there and you're like, yes. So, I mean, see what I mean? Be fearless. That's what I would say to people. Let go of the fear that it may or may not work and just do it for the simple joy of doing it and giving it whatever it is, you know, because that's when it has value because there's not an attachment for you to get something. Now, that's a kind of a big concept, but at the same time, like that's how I did it and how it worked. So once the book was published, you always have to promote it, right? Whether it's going on podcasts like this or maybe doing public speaking. I'm assuming there was some sort of fear in terms of like getting yourself out there to promote the book. Uh, so can you walk us through that process and how you overcome that? Well, I just decided that that nobody's going to know about it if I don't say something. <laughs> If I don't do, you know, if I don't put myself out there, nobody's going to know. So here's this life's work that is coming from the deepest part of my heart. And if I don't open my mouth and do something about it, like that's kind of not right. I don't know. I guess I just decided like, what could really go wrong? I'm out there. I'm meeting beautiful people like you. You know what I mean? People who are doing good work in the world, who want to help other people and who want to give something that's of value that transforms other people's lives. Like, why not? What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? And, you know, I think so the thing that I'm overcoming right now is just the know-how, like I'm still learning how to do these things. So I'm new to podcasting, I'm new to publishing books, and just all the skill level that it's taking. That's teaching me a lot. Yeah, so. it's about the learning of process along the way. Process along the way. And being willing, like I would say this to your audience too, like be willing to kind of mess it up. Be willing to get out there and be like, yep, I did my best and geez, that didn't do what I wanted. Let's do it again. In your own life, you have to be the person who holds that space that you can do it. And if you need other people to tell you you can do it, man, go find those people. Go find the people that celebrate you, whoever they are. Yeah, having a support network is essential. Uh, a lot of people, when they want to do something different, they always get criticism from their friends and family, and then they don't know who to turn to. So like, in your opinion, like, how were you able to build your social network to push you to finish that book, push you to promote it, get yourself out there, push you to pivot to your career in this direction? Yep. So um, I am a student of the Himalayan tradition, and my teacher is Pandit Rajmani Tiganayat. Um, they have a place in Pennsylvania. And so the, one of the scariest things I did is I went to my teacher and to my community and said, I wrote this book. I would love your blessing. Or, And that was because those are the people that I am in community with. 
and they are my peers. And some of them have written bestsellers. Some of them are world renowned. And so to go put myself out there in front of the people that I care the most about, that was a big thing. And gratefully, they received it with love and respect. And they also gave me good accolades. So I think that's important to put it out to people. I also think you need to be aware that if you're kind of in this chrysalis of like, it's your first time to put something out, make sure the people that you ask opinion of have your back. They're not just people who are going to drag you down. So you have to be the one who decides that and makes that call. Absolutely. So we, we talked about friendliness and compassion, two of the four attitudes. So, so let's continue on, dive more into your book, uh, your knowledge. So the third attitude is non-judgment. So why don't you walk us through that attitude and why that's essential as far as attitudes that you promote? Well, so non-judgment is a very powerful attitude to practice. And I would say it requires a lot more tended to effort than some of the other ones. Because <laughs> we have, I know for myself, I don't know about you, but you can have attachment around people, places, things, right? And if you get really attached and being judgmental towards yourself or another, and you're not aware that you're doing that, that can actually hinder your ability to be in the flow of gratitude and kindness and compassion. So non-judgment is actually a way to go, oh, I don't actually know everything here. And non-judgment also can be a way in which you go, I'm not going to put back on myself super harsh judgment. I'm going to be kind to myself. So it flows both directions, out and inside. And it doesn't mean that you don't use judgment as a way to serve you, because if we didn't have the power of judgment, we couldn't drive a car. <laughs> we wouldn't be here right now. We couldn't balance checkbooks. We couldn't, you know, we couldn't take care of things the way that uh, we need to. So judgment is very powerful. It's when it hinders you and it's something you do as a pattern that you become super harsh or critical or over judging or overly attached in a way that prevents you from growing. That's probably not a good use of judgment. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how you are, Max. Like, judgment is good, but using non judgment as a way to free yourself from things is so powerful. So it's okay not to know everything, right? Like, as you mentioned, uh, a lot of people, uh, they feel like they need to be the smartest person in the room, but that's actually worse because then you're not growing if no one is able to bounce ideas off of you and grow together. Yep. Yeah. And I hope I'm never the smartest person in the room. I'm in big trouble. <laughs> I guess I'd like to be the kindest person in the room, but then I'm like, maybe not. Maybe there's somebody else out there. Like, yeah. Um, competitiveness is really good for us only when it's used in a way to help us grow. It's when we compete to become more than someone else in a way that's harmful that can hinder us. Yeah, I believe I believe competition is good in, in, in certain aspects because so I'm in the career coaching space and there's obviously other career coaches in the same space as I am. Uh, so competition is good because if they're doing something, I, I want to see if I can become better. But you want to make it like so aggressive that it no longer becomes a friendly competition. Now you're trying to like put them out of business. I, I think that's going too far. You need competition to uh, innovate. But you don't want to make it as uh, something where it's like life or death situation because then it, it no longer becomes about the competition. It becomes about hurting that person. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Max, who you attract and who your client is, 
there are almost 8 billion people in this world. <laughs> and so I just see this as like, there's so many of us that who you attract is not going to be who that other career coach attracts. And I think that when we become overly competitive and we want to beat somebody else, sometimes that's a lack model. That's a model that says, if I don't get this, then there's not enough. There's a almost 8 billion people here, Max, and who you resonate with and who you draw in even to your podcast and as your client, like nobody else is going to do that the way you do it. And who you are in the world differentiates you from those other people. That's why I think like having your message differentiating makes a big difference. There's always that mindset of scarcity and abundance. Like if, like if you get angry that like your competition got a few clients and you got nothing, maybe the way that they resonate with those people are going to be different than you, right? So a common thing a lot of people do is like they try to copy their competition to get the same thing, but then you're not being authentic to yourself because you're just copying what works for them. So as you said, you have to have an authentic message that connects with your audience and then you have your own niche and then you can build from that instead of trying to like copy a formula that works for them, but it may not work for you. Yeah, exactly. And then the last attitude that you talk about in your book is joyful. Uh, so why don't you talk us through the last attitude uh, that you promote in your book? So it's a joyful condition of mind, uh, mudita. So it's one of the four attitudes. Joy is innate to all humans. Like it's just a, it's a quality that we have. We are born with it. It's part of our inheritance. We, when we're not experiencing that joyful mind, it's because we have a lot of things that we are attached to, or we have, I like to call it like smoke in the mind. It's like too much stuff going on, right? So joy, I teach this in a meditation that I'm certified to teach called Vishoka. And Vishoka meditation is the state of sorrowless joy. So it's, it's pretty simple, but it's using your body, breath, and mind and awareness to reach a point inside where joy is always present beyond your thoughts or your identities or your beliefs or any of those things. That is really what the Yoga Sutra is speaking about is a joyful condition of mind that the mind can be innately joyful when it's trained and it can find that spark inside. Throughout your like, journey from like, your, your upbringing to now, can you walk us through like how you were able to incorporate all these four attitudes to become who you are today? Wow, that's a big question. Well, first of all, I have amazing teachers. My teachers love and blessings. I will never be able to repay back in this life. <laughs> the things that they have taught me, which are the four attitudes and how to practice them and contemplate them. I use my family life as a way to do that, right? So in the morning when I get up, I ask myself the question, like, was there a place yesterday at all where I was not a clear representation of who and what I want to be in this world? And my mind will then show me like, maybe you were less than loving here or you didn't, you know, it'll show me. And so that's one practice that I do every day because it's, I'm looking at incremental changes of how I become the person that I know is inside and then share it with other people. That's one. And second, I'm not perfect. I just use these attitudes as a way to have a beautiful life. When I cook for my family, I think happy thoughts and I give love and blessing to them and gratitude that I have someone to cook for. And I also break it down to small things like sometimes if life becomes overwhelming, you know, you probably work a lot. I work a lot. We do a lot of things and I'm out of the flow of gratitude. 
I'll come back to myself and I'll use this practice that I write about in my book called the pebble process. <laughs> and it's where we just pick up the tiny little pieces of our life that we normally don't say thank you for. The roof over your head, the electricity, the water is clean. Like just begin with tiny little things if you can't, you know, wow, my whole life is great. I love the pebble process because it teaches you how to just do micro micro corrections throughout the day. Um, another way that I work with the attitudes is I engage with how I'm breathing a few times a day. Like I don't let my breath just run. I go back to it and go, am I breathing slow, deep, even continuous and quiet? Because the, for me, breathing is always present. It's one of the three great teachers in our life, our body, breath, and mind. And when we return back to our breath a few times a day, it just helps us get the bumps out, the bumps in the breathing, the jerks, the pauses, the noise that dysregulate our central nervous system. So we just calm the central nervous system down, which calms the mind down, which calms the body down, which allows you to have a more present reality. Those are some of the ways that I practice every single day. And I also practice non-attachment by realizing like, I can accept life on life's terms. I can show up, be present, do my very best. But when I'm trying to fight how life is showing up, that's very uncomfortable. I just want to touch upon what you said about like, we sometimes neglect what we should be grateful of, right? Or we think like, as you said, the roof over your head. People don't really think about like being grateful about that. Like there's other parts of the world where they, they don't have a roof over their head. Another example could be, uh, oh, the subway's late. But in other parts of the world, there is no subway. You either have to walk or bike, right? So there's a lot of, that's what we call like first world problems where they're, they're not as like, we make a big deal when in reality, it's just a small rough patch. But overall, uh, we are living in a country that uh, has a lot of opportunity if you uh, want to go after it. Absolutely. And we're living in a peaceful country for the most part. You know, we can go outside. We have food on our shelves. We can get a job. We can, there's just so many things to be grateful for just even living here in the United States or Canada or um, we have clean water. That's a big deal, having clean water that we don't have to pack. You know, I've been to India many, many times and to small villages in India, they pack their water. Can you imagine just for a moment, Max, having to pack your water to bathe, to use it for food and water? You have to pack, you know, let's say I have no idea, gallons and gallons of water every day. How, <laughs> how would that change your life? Do you see what I mean? Like just having so much gratitude brings in grace because you realize the grace that has been given to you without you even working for it. And we've talked about the four attitudes. We talked about uh, your pebble process. Is there one thing for someone to take away from the book uh, once they read, read through it? What do you want them to focus on? Mm, that's a good one. I think the biggest takeaway is learn how to become friends with yourself because you're everywhere you go. <laughs> you're waking, dreaming, and sleeping states. You're always there. So being kind to yourself in a way that is generative. I think oftentimes we're very hard on ourselves in our culture and that if that worked, we'd all be free. So that's one way. And if people want to engage with me, they can go to my website, thefouratitudes.com. My book is there. It's on audio. And they can also reach out to me if they want. We also have a newsletter that we do called The Divine Times. It's like consciously curated content bite-sized chunks on how to approach mindfulness and the four attitudes. So again, really appreciate you taking the time, Sandra, to come on my podcast, discuss your book, discuss your 
the, the challenges they had over, overcome in your life. So how can people reach out to you know more about what you do and how you can help them? And again, uh, how can people uh, find the book and purchase it? So my book is only audio right now, and they can actually get some free chapters if they just go to my website, uh, thefourattitudes.com. That's all spelled out, T-H-E-F-O-U-R-A-T-T-I-T-U-D-E-S.com. They can book a call with me if they want, but my physical book, we haven't released yet because we have a whole big release process we're doing. So, but my audio book is already out. Sounds great. Again, thank you so much for the time, Sandra, and uh, have a great new year. Thank you, Max. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.